Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome to part two of Pluto and Aquarius psychological and experiential themes. Part one was episode 215, several episodes back. I get into an introduction on Pluto and Aquarius and start to talk about the themes that we could be anticipating during this new era that's approaching, where on March 23rd, 2023, Pluto enters Aquarius. It will stay there for about three months, retrograde back into Capricorn, and then re-enter Aquarius early 2024 and stay there for 20 whole years. So... There's a mood shift, there's a collective shift that is coming. And I wanted to approach Pluto from a deeply psychological angle. I wanted us to reflect on it from the perspective of soul, because while Pluto does represent collective um, events or like the collective mood, I want to encourage us to go deep, um, to think about this as something that, yeah, it's, it's collective, but it's also personal. Um, same as like early on, you know, cafe astrology, for example, I'm like 12, 13, 14, looking at my chart on the internet. And I learned, you know, there's a few sentences about being a Pluto and Scorpio, that it's generational, it's not really personal. And maybe that was a good little like piece of misinformation. I love cafe astrology, by the way, and astro.com. Um, But it was like a good little piece of misinformation in the sense that later Pluto would become so important and it took maybe time to receive that download. Pluto is massive, right? In evolutionary astrology, it relates to our core desire nature, why we even exist, why we chose to incarnate the thing that our soul is still wanting to resolve or wanting to experience the thing that keeps us tied to coming back and existing in a body again instead of just not caring about this game or the wheel of karma anymore. It's something that's still binding us to existing in this form as an individual entity, as a, um, as a person with an ego. And in that is both great attraction and great resistance. You know, you can think about the things you want the most and how deeply motivated you are by that and how also terrified or maybe um, resistant or where you have shame or you don't think you can have it or like where we get kind of twisted up about the deepest thing that we're here for. So Pluto is not without its more treacherous or challenging waters. Um, It's a profound archetype, truly. And... Hmm, where do I want to go first? So just a reminder that because this is part two, you might benefit from starting with part one because some of the themes build on each other. Um, So figured I would just mention that. In this particular share about Pluto and Aquarius, I'm going to be talking and musing about the connections between the underworld, Pluto, Hades, Lord of the Underworld, and the higher realms, right? Like Aquarius relates to the internet, Akasha, the upper chakras, insights, things that I think spatially we consider high up, you know, or even the satellites that connect us um, are high up, they're above the earth. And so how interesting that the god of the underworld is going to be spending time in a sign that is spatially so far out, right? The god of the underworld who kind of resides underneath the earth, right? That deep, deep root place. 
is spending time in a place, Aquarius, where we might experience out-of-body experiences, whether that's awakening out-of-body experiences or trauma even, the thing that splits us, fractures us from being here. I think it's interesting, this spatial thing of the deepest deeps and the highest highs, something I actually think about a lot um, outside of Pluto and Aquarius, just as a person with all kinds of emotions and you know, that I love the, the highs, the peak experiences, and those are also places that have taken me to my lowest lows. It's kind of how it works. Um, life will take you up and down, basically. And so I'm thinking about going up to go down and going down to go up, and I'm going to elaborate on that. But before I do that, um, a few things I want to name. One is that I do teach evolutionary astrology. Um, The evolutionary astrology intensive, as it was called for five years, has now morphed into dragon of the moon and evolutionary astrology initiation. Essentially, it is the same experience, though it's grown in richness and depth over the years as several hundred students have passed through its doors um, and shared glowing feedback about the transformation and the ways that it opened them spiritually, emotionally, the ways that it was healing, the ways that it was transportive and transformative. And those testimonials can be found on the course page if you'd like to get a feel for it. Um, I changed it to Dragon of the Moon because it's really a magical portal of an experience and I just wanted it to have a more mythic title to reflect that. This class is a Um, the prayer behind it has always been to connect you with astrology so that you have your own channel, right? Like I still love to research and read books and learn from other astrologers, but I, as an astrologer, have the capacity to muse directly with the planets and have my own relationships and form my own relationships to the archetypes, the planets, the gods that they represent and to form my own interpretations, have my own downloads and visions. And I don't think that that's just about technique and knowing how the system works, though there is a deep component of that. It's about transmission. It's about feeling. It's about making that connection. So the way that I teach evolutionary astrology, which is a Pluto and lunar node-focused astrology at a technical level, is to help you find the emotional intellectual spiritual connections that you already have to these archetypes so you can begin to really map it in a way that's your own Um, and then all of the teachings in the program are essentially wisdom teachings evolutionary astrology is a highly contemplative practice it's a lot about um, the philosophy of how we're living our life how we're relating to our desires Um, and all of the signs have deeper core underlying intentions Um, or energetics to them that goes beyond the personality manifestations but there's a deeper reason so we're always getting into the depths with evolutionary astrology and with our favorite Pluto so I'm about to segue into talking about Pluto more but just if you're interested in studying evolutionary astrology with me and joining dragon of the moon we begin February 23rd Um, the application and course page is in the show notes I do have some financial assistance tuition assistance um, and the details for that are in the application and we have a beautiful group forming the other thing about this course is that it's an amazing community it's always gathered epic sincere magical people and truly been an experience If you have any questions about it or about your learning goals, desires in particular, feel free to email me at sabrina at monarchastrology to start a conversation, or you can ask it in your application. So before we begin, I wanted to talk about the concept of Pluto and incarnation. Not just reincarnation, right? Reincarnation will get us into a discussion about Pluto and the lunar nodes and the nature of karma. But incarnation, um, this action by which we exist, right? So visualize, if you will, however graphically you want to visualize it, the portal 
through which a soul comes to exist. Um, and by this I mean the moment of sexual union. We could have a debate per se. Maybe people have different opinions on when the soul enters the body. Um, and so I just want to clarify too that there's um, for example, in the cases of like unwanted pregnancies, um, the soul can go to another place too. Um, the soul doesn't just die if it doesn't get to exist in a particular body. So I'm not trying to get into that whole thing, but just wanted to name that because I think about that when I'm talking about the soul entering a body. Anyway, um, well, no, let's let's talk about it for another minute, actually, while we're here. This is something, too, that I think that, um, like, for example, as a kid, not receiving any religious conditioning or any really mystical education until later on, I learned about birth and conception from a really scientific perspective. There was no talk of soul. And um, what if when deciding to bring a life, you know, into this world, where's the, the conversation of soul or the ritual around it that is sometimes really culturally decided, um, if that's a cultural norm, and that might be related to one's spiritual beliefs or spiritual practices. Um, but the way I have learned it and see it from evolutionary astrology is that Regardless of what ends up happening in terms of the pregnancy being carried through or um, whatnot, there is this moment of resonance in the moment of conception. Like it's a portal, it's a surfer catching a wave. This is my chance to exist. This is the family that I want to be born into. Not because it's going to be cush and amazing necessarily. It might actually be a really traumatic family life or childhood um, but for whatever reason in the deeper intelligence of the mosaic of the thing that our soul is working out or discovering or learning this is the portal for that lesson or this is the portal for this project or this thesis that I'm taking on earth school um, and so there's this moment conception we incarnate through that then we come here, we exist um, after birth, um, and birth is quite a intense process as well, um, right? Like it's not just like a gentle thing, it's actually like a, a pretty epic struggle, if you will, a portal moment. We come here not fully conscious, right? It takes a couple years to begin developing like a sense of self-identity, memory. Um, and we don't really remember past lives or the world, the in-between realm before incarnating. And we take for granted this reality as what is, you know, or what we're told, what we're conditioned, um, depending on our level of, you know, individuation or consciousness, we might have our own mystical dreams or sense of knowing or what have you, but we all go through our own experience of kind of waking up in this life, becoming conscious, but we're here and we enter here. Like if you think about dreaming, do you ever remember when your dream begins or do you just kind of hazily find yourself inside of a dream and you might remember when you wake up right so there's this kind of mm, hazy portal not fully conscious then we're here somehow throughout life however you know once we're here there is our soul being like oh here's my moment now i'm gonna exist then i'm gonna forget who I am, that I'm a soul, the deeper thing inside of me, and I'm just wandering, I'm like learning how to have a body, or, you know, my brain is still developing as like a little baby, um, I'm learning the rules of this culture and time, and eventually I grow up, 
And do I remember this really deep thing inside of me, my soul, right? And then we have these experiences, these desires, these callings that invite us to initiate a deeper sense of incarnating um, into this life again. Like I'm not talking about reincarnation life to life. I'm talking about incarnating over and over and more deeply in this lifetime. So it's one thing to have a desire or a vision. It's another to carry it out. And that incarnates us deeper. And so I'm talking about, I think James Hillman called this process of the soul grounding down, right? That we merge with this life. We merge with this body. We merge with being an earthling. And that incarnates us deeper into the um, the embodiment of existing. So when I think about Pluto, it's a spiritual path of actually really choosing to be here. Because in evolutionary astrology, the there's this maxim, there's no way out but through. We, we stop incarnating or reincarnating when we've exhausted all desire to be separate from source. And when I really tune in with myself, I'm not ready to just go to nirvana. Maybe in a really bad moment, I think I am, like I'm done here kind of thing. But if I really tune into it and feel into the truth of it, I'm pretty interested in being Sabrina, pretty interested in being Sabrina Monarch, pretty interested in my life and my desires. And the idea of just being done on earth you know, I even have a dream that my next lifetime I'll be born into a situation where I learn how to dance as a kid at an early age because I really wish I could dance like better at a technical level. I wish I learned that on early in life. So I even have a desire for like next life, this is the setup I want, you know? So no way I'm ready to just be done incarnating and existing. Um, and so when I think about the spiritual path of evolutionary astrology and Pluto, the awakening isn't about, I'm going to learn all my lessons and be good so that I don't have to exist on earth anymore and I can just go to the version of heaven you know, that is being one with God and one with source. It's about living fully. And in the process, there's this actual kind of deep trust that through um, merging with desires and being you know, dying into our desires over and over again that we actually do evolve. You know, I think about some of the things I wanted and either achieved or let go of earlier in my life and how it made space for the next thing, the next evolution. So there's a spiritual intelligence to our desire nature. Um, and that includes, it's not just about, you know, bacchanalia and like doing whatever the fuck we want and not caring and, you know, just being wild like there's a real discernment and respect of true desire not just you know some desires are compulsive they're addictions and they extract and take from our life force you know and that's not really desire it's a compulsion it's an addiction there's some desires that um we for whatever reason really struggle and we can't have them we feel like maybe we want something specific that's not really for us. Maybe there's a deeper essence inside of it that we're meant to connect with, but the way that we've projected it onto this other specific vision isn't it. And so there's a need to let it go. Um, so there's a way to be mature and intelligent and thoughtful about our desires. But also, it hurts to suppress them, to pretend they're not there, to try to be someone else or something else other than what we are at our core nature kind of level. So this is what um, I just wanted to talk about this before I get into the theme of going up to go down and going down to go up because this incarnation idea is going to come into play. But let's come back to the up and down and like the differentiation in space. I'm getting this um, because Pluto and Aquarius brings reflection to me on the connection between high and low places like the upper chakras and the lower chakras, mountains and valleys, peak experiences and dark nights of the soul. 
To me, I see this in the symbolism. It's the god of the underworld, Hades, Pluto, in a sign that while I do think Aquarius can have bandwidth that reaches in any direction, I think Aquarius hints of height at the least, right? It's like zooming out and up, leaving the ground level and getting a more panoramic picture, as well as the process of integrating back to the ground. Aquarius can relate to channeling, which is often an upper chakra activity, crown or third eye. And Aquarius corresponds with the technology of communication at great distances. So whether telepathically, which we may not think of super spatially, or via the satellites that orbit high above us and connect communications on the ground, they gift us the internet. Aquarius can also relate to trauma the trauma pattern of being out of body or the awakening altered states of having an out of body experience. Aquarius directionally can go far out and high up. So when I chew on these images and digest them, and I encourage you to join me in that process meditatively, what does it mean for the lowest and the highest places to talk to each other, to be working through each other? And I'll offer a general trigger warning that we will be talking about intense themes. This may feel activating. Pluto's really raw, you know, it's, it's just the way. So I began to think about this up and down meditation when studying the myths of Psyche and Eros, which has been like a deep research rabbit hole and love for some time now. At one point in the myth of Psyche and Eros, um, I'll just say, you know, to keep it brief, that Psyche and Eros at this point in the myth that I'm going to be talking about have been separated. Psyche has had a glimpse of Eros and lost him for a time. And then Psyche goes through all these trials in the pursuit of reuniting with Eros. Aphrodite has assigned Psyche the task of going into the underworld to retrieve Persephone's beauty ointment. But Aphrodite's had it out for Psyche for some time, and this task is essentially a death sentence. So in despair of being given this impossible task or not being able to have her lover, Psyche constructs a tower that she can throw herself off of to commit suicide. But the tower itself speaks to Psyche once she's climbed it, giving her detailed instructions of how she can complete the underworld task safely. Right? So she's constructed this tower, this high up place, and it tells her how to go into the underworld. The more I reflected on this image, it really did something for me. I thought of how our highest hopes can connect to our lowest places of fear and despair, right? And how as well, when we construct or when we consult the upper realm and the oracle, right? So psychics or the Akashic records or any kind of upper chakra space, it often can, just like this tower, give us instructions around our descent and embodiment, right? Like we get the download and then the assignment is to incarnate it by taking action. Not a lot unlike being a soul who from a very far away or like interdimensional place sees this moment of, oh, I get to exist and then goes through the birth portal and all the hardships, all the kind of the density of this earthly existence to be here starting from being like more ethereal more like immaterial to the material so when a moment of illumination happens in our inner vision you know that's one thing but carrying it out on the ground and in our lives is another, and it's soul-making. So I invite you to slow down with me for a moment and think about Psyche 
building a tower from which to throw herself off of it. And before the moment of self-annihilation, the tower itself gives her detailed instructions about her task in the underworld. Maybe you relate. How often has the pursuit for insight, perhaps a pursuit driven by crisis or some extreme emotional state, turned into deliverance of a vision, a vision that required your participation to carry it all the way through? Not to mention the shift in direction once the tower was constructed. The tower was built for the mission of suicide, yet once the structure was complete, Psyche simply had a breakthrough and was given a vision that helped her not to die, but to actually incarnate more into her journey. This is something about Pluto and Aquarius that I'm thinking about. When I think about breakthroughs, right? Like Aquarius can be that sudden moment of electric epiphany. And it's that really joyful, emotional insight moment of like, oh, like I can breathe. Like, wow, fresh air, finally. I feel free. It's a contrast to perhaps an extreme of the cage we feel right before. The thing that always precedes a breakthrough is that there is something to break through. And Pluto likes to make things extreme. Pluto's quite a dramatic planet. And so what is that like when we're just like really at the edge of a paradigm, right? Like in Psyche's space that she's in at that time, it's like, this is it. It's time to die. Like there's nothing else. And it's at that very edge that then something else comes through. So ever since I learned this, I couldn't get over the image that Psyche built a tower designed to support her dying by throwing herself off of it. But in the way the story progressed, it was actually that she took a different kind of jump, not a physical violent one that would detach her soul from her body, but a jump deeper into the messy invitation of her life, the mythic quest that she's been given by Aphrodite to go into the underworld, even though she really doesn't want to do that. How often do we momentarily leave the conditions of our lives on the ground, the way things are, to go up <clears throat> to the realm of vision, oracle, insight, our climb, our tower, propelled by our impasse, or confronting a limitation in the plot of our lives and our capacity to meet our own struggles? And then once we get to the top of the tower, that is our pursuit of higher perspective, getting a bird's eye view, we get an inspiration, an assignment, that is only made real and manifest by taking the plunge, not the jump off the tower to end the game, but the plunge into life, into the plot, into the thick of the story, into our own embodiment. Here's where maybe we could see how sometimes people could get stuck. Imagine, for example, the sci-fi plot of a virtual reality world where people get so deep in the virtual reality, living in the mental conceptual fantasy, the program, that they eventually are just hooked up to feeding tubes and living in some kind of science lab that keeps their physical body alive while they just become a brain in a fantasy. And I'm not just speaking of the matrix, but other sci-fi stories. I recall one of these worlds in the Pendragon series that I read and loved as a kid. And that doesn't have to be sci-fi, right? Like that's a very literal um, speculative fiction way of looking at it of like there's people and their brains are having activity where their bodies are in kind of a coma and they're inside of a vat of jello. Like that is one way to look at it. Um, but another way to stay stuck in this kind of limbo of not being in the thick of life and being somewhere else is by simply not being present, like being somewhere else. And through the lens of Aquarius, that can be when we're inside of a, a mental program. And sometimes those could be 
um, like a trauma pattern or simply like a emotional pattern that we run and that's kind of a defining paradigm, a pulse, a thrust of our existence and we're just in the hamster wheel of that and as long as we don't know that it's just the thing that we're doing it could be that um it could be more fantastical like i used the example last time about people that are deep into conspiracy theories and where it's like they're really like in this other world but let's say virtual reality proves to be a scientific or technological advancement during pluto's transit in aquarius i've heard talk right we could think about the people who become so enamored with their avatar, their digital avatar, that they can make as sexy, as physically strong or agile, etc., as they want. And the type of psychology, the type of psychological state of a person that they'd be happy enough to be with the pixels versus the physical reality. Right? So where it is that we get we kind of like being outside of reality or outside of connection to our embodiment. And we're okay living in some other detached other world. I think it's one thing to visit another realm and to weave the realms. I'm talking about when people get stuck living in a matrix. So I want to talk about this a little bit further because I, I think it's a little bit more subtle and pervasive than these sci-fi stories which take it to an extreme and by taking it to an extreme show us things, right? But let's just talk about the internet. Like, I love the internet. The internet has been a major place for me of, you know, it's not just a place I go to escape the world. It's a, there's a permeable membrane between my online and offline lives. But it wasn't actually always that way. I found the internet. I found the internet. I found a writing website when I was 11. And I began to make friends all over the world and learn how to write in a community. I think writing was already something that I felt inclined toward or something, but... After school, I'd get on the computer and I was like writing stories and because I had an audience and these like really friendly, supportive people reading my writing and proofreading and critiquing it and giving me constructive criticism and encouraging me, um, I wrote a lot more than I would have otherwise. I had a community. <clears throat> and what was really interesting, the split that occurred was that in my life at school, I was... Um, nerdy right and not really by choice like i would have loved to be more fashionable i didn't have access to the clothes i wanted to wear and i also didn't really know how to like look good so i just had this kind of gawky kind of like awkwardness and i wasn't super embodied um like i would do like little forays into say like theater camp or try to like act and i just didn't even have it in me like I was very like inside of myself and so even if I like wanted to have like a cool like life in my local area, I just didn't have the embodiment. But on the internet, I had a lot of people who loved me, thought that I was a really amazing writer, um, saw me, like saw some of the like deeper sensitivities of my soul like I was really into like animal rights and people at school would make fun of me for that because I guess I talked about it in a way that <laughs> made me um, a target and yet these adults on the internet were like donating to animal rights charities in my honor so it's like I had social capital, if you will, in one realm and not in the other. And when I think about virtual reality and the kind of like temptation that people would have of like, oh, I just want to like live in this virtual world, but not in the real world. I personally don't super relate to that because the way that I felt seen and recognized on the internet only inspired me to want my other life my offline life to catch up with that level of embodiment 
And that took a lot of time. I did, there was like so much in that process. Part of it was even like my writing voice was a lot stronger. And I learned earlier on how to really communicate and have an authority in my written voice to the point where some people online thought that I was faking being a kid and that I was actually an adult posing as a child because my writing was that good, apparently. But in my physical embodiment, my speech was not, you know, I didn't have a confident voice. Maybe I had like upspeak or I trailed off in sentences or I was too nervous or couldn't like get my thoughts out as coherently with my like my audio voice that I could with my writing voice Um, and then all the other kind of things that you know gestures or facial expressions like I just felt like I was like super awkward right and then the more that my like writing voice got stronger and my transmissions or my wisdom or whatever got stronger and stronger I would look at my unconscious speech tics and like my embodiment and be like, I have to work on this. (laughs) Like, and I invested a lot of time and attention in all the things I learned about proofreading with writing and this community of like, well, maybe I can figure out how to apply that and just through practice and through talking to people and, you know, even like adding people I knew or like distantly knew in my town on Facebook and then talking about my astrology stuff and having people come up to me then at parties and like, oh, I read your astrology. And like, I was starting to really blend the worlds and I wasn't content to have like this avatar life, right? And then a real life, quote, real life. And I think there is something about these alternate realms that people might access through things like virtual reality or an internet persona or what have you, where they're freed of maybe some of the limitations of their current embodiment. But it's also possible that their embodiment could catch up. Developmentally, having all of that validation and care and interest in my thoughts and ideas on the internet helped me become who I am. And I couldn't access that outside of the internet Um, and surely there's plenty of people that have similar situations who have niche interests and they find their community on the internet that they don't necessarily have in person and through that community of like-minded people which is a very Aquarian thing they're able to um, be in dialogue and to really foster that part of themselves so I guess why I'm sharing this is that if we think about going somewhere else, it's one thing to get stuck there in like the comfort of, oh, I've gone far away from my, my quote, normal life, and now I'm in this alternate realm where people understand me. Maybe it's festival culture. Maybe it's like a group of people that we see at a conference every year. Maybe it's like a certain group of friends and it's like they're a subgroup or like an alternate channel of reality. And yeah, you can like really be nourished by those spaces. And sometimes the resonance, the like-mindedness actually gives you a lot that you can then bring back or integrate into other parts of your life. It doesn't need to be so extreme, such as in the virtual reality sci-fi um like speculation of someone becoming so disembodied and so disconnected to their life that they want to live permanently in another realm and just forget that they exist in the other. That's taking it to an ultimate extreme. I know I've gotten a little bit away from Psyche and the tower image, but maybe we'll come back to it. But there's a few more things I want to say. And one is that In relationship to some of the things I've been alluding to in both this transmission and the previous one about Pluto and Aquarius, not all thought paradigms are high quality, right? Like sometimes people can be in a really out of touch, whack place. Um, And so not every other alternate realm is equal. 
And yeah, that's judgmental to say, but maybe you'll understand me in a moment when that, you know, there's like darker corners of intellectual discourse that foster hatred or very twisted, you know, worldviews or social worldviews. I hesitate to even call it social discourse. It's social discourse, not necessarily intellectual, but whatever. And so these twisted worldviews, when I'm talking about like going into an alternate realm and being able to weave the realms and like combine your online and offline life, that can be very romantic and very beautiful. And I like chef's kiss that. It can also be really sick. Um, I don't even want to like name specific examples I'm thinking of, but when I think about the kind of mass murder people uh, and the media or thought paradigm those perpetrators of violence are tapped into that's an example to me of being how uh, an example to me of how being in an alternate world like some reddit thread or something is not always romantic or really serving life or the truth sometimes it's a psychological distortion projected onto a vision and the vision is sick and the person doesn't have the discernment or tools to dismantle that, and so they feed it. Um, and it's this kind of like monster. It's a deeply unfortunate situation. So um, that's just taking it like as a, a likewise, like, you know, I talked about people living in the matrix and being like a brain and a vat of jelly, and that's also grotesque. Um, these things can be beautiful in terms of tapping into alternate realities they also can be grotesque that's just what i'm naming but for us thinking about ourselves and thinking about the deeper truth inside of us and wanting to be on a path of wisdom and spiritual growth and personal development what if we're legitimately touching something that empowers us and is like a heightened avatar version of ourselves right our higher selves the vision we get from the akashic records the vision we get um, in a moment of insight, the experiment, you know, when we're in like a, a different world of some kind and the thing inside of ourselves that we touch through that altered reality, right? However it is that we gain access to this heightened vision of ourselves, this excitement, this inspiration, that's beautiful. That's like having space, in our imagination and vision and then what is it to come down from the tower of that height and to incarnate that vision into our life this is a similar thing that i was talking to or talking about with saturn and pisces and world building based on living in multiple realms that's a recent episode um, on this podcast too of how, you know, what's reality and how people are living in different worlds all the time and that the role of the dreamer, the mystic, or the visionary is to be in another world simultaneously and to weave that world into the consensus shared reality. It's a little bit different with Aquarius in that I'm going to be talking here, I've been talking here about a conceptual map, a paradigm, a matrix, and enacting it. And how will the friction between the paradigm or the vision and the reality transform each other? Because if there's a difference between the vision and the reality, there's a gap, there's space, there's room for change, right? So whether we're talking cultural change because people dream of utopia and they want to share that utopia with the collective and have social change be enacted, or whether we have a dream of our higher selves something you know a deeper potential and we want to wire that into our patterning and how we behave on a daily level so that we close the gap between that idealized vision and the reality sometimes people try to force the vision the conceptual map the idea and they give so much power to the ideal or the map that they ignore the earth the body the feedback the resonance Sometimes, in a hostile environment, holding the vision despite the feedback is a power move that matters, like a person who's holding a marginalized experience in a space largely with people who don't relate or are very well in the margins, right? Or like 
me as a kid who felt really loved on the internet but made fun of at school. It was like, which version of myself am I going to hold steadier to? Like, which is helping me develop? Which will harm me if I take it in? If that person who's having a marginalized experience holds the vision of their value and their way of being and doesn't cave to the feedback that there's something lesser or wrong with them, that's different, say, than a dictator having a great vision and forcing a way of life onto the people. So we might have discernment about the power move of having a really strong conceptual paradigm that we're organizing our lives around and that there is a power in that um, that goes in multiple directions. And also, if you have a vision that is ahead of the time of your own embodiment, right? Like you're seeing your future self, you're seeing your higher self, and you set to work on manifesting and enacting the vision, you will change. Your embodiment will change and your vision might evolve in the process too. You know, like sometimes when we're far away from ourselves or far away from what we want, we want something bigger and flashier and maybe like, you know, I want to think of like an example. Um, maybe you just, you know what I'm talking about where it's like, you think you want something, you strive toward it, and on the way of striving, you find this kind of humbling in yourself of like, there was something deeper and more sensitive or more vulnerable that I really wanted, but it's like I was so hungry, I had to want the shiny, intense, high power, high adrenaline, high sex kind of thing to start to feel this vision shape. So as we move toward the vision of the avatar, you know, of the higher thing, we're going to change, but our vision changes. So where is the endurance of the vision a strength? fixed air Aquarius and where is it rigid overly stubborn and ultimately not helping your cause these are some things to think about in terms of personal mastery working with the integration mission that Aquarius relates to okay I'm going to come back to Psyche and another way of thinking about Psyche's tower that gives her detailed instructions of how to enter the underworld when we're consulting vision or the oracle, that's essentially like a third eye or crown kind of experience. But we get visions there that often say, stand up for yourself in a certain way, solar plexus, or drop us into our heart, or tell us that we need to speak, throat, or it's something way deeper at a root level or a sacral that is being invited to develop. So that's another way that we go up, up the tower to go down into the lower embodiment. Many individuals, I've been here too, experience top-down spiritual experiences, um, such as being really open psychically and it taking time for them to become more embodied, right? Or getting a vision and then it taking time for that vision to make its way into our reality. At the beginning of my spiritual opening, um, I feel like I was always open in certain ways, but like in earnest, like I'm on a spiritual awakening path. When that first started happening, I talked to tons of psychics. I did a lot of trades to sharing astrology. And many of these psychics told me I wasn't embodied or in my root. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Though as the years went on and my root opened too, I understood in retrospect right like I was like vision boarding and trying to like I was like visioning and making my way down into the you know and then I would take action and, and whatnot but there were still these deeper energetics of like what does it mean to really open at the root and at the sacral I found my way into deeper embodiment often because the visions I contacted through this higher realm um, would give me the excitement or vision to do something and then I would do it and I would incarnate more deeply into my life and my root. Another thing to think about, you know, is when we experience full body chills or epiphanies that land in our body, we have integrated what would otherwise be a mind body split or a split between the upper and lower realms. 
we can engage our embodiment and capacity to feel sensation alongside our pursuit of knowledge. So you could reflect on which realm, upper or lower, is easier for you to access. Many of you listening to this podcast might be like really up in the upper, like easily, right? Because we're looking to the stars and we're thinking about possibility and that's all very like the realm of vision. Um, Sometimes people that are more like in the uh, root and have a hard time going up might be like a situation of someone that like um, works pretty hard or like works the land um, and has a hard time envisioning how to shift their life, like getting the imagination for things to change, but they, they are like in the rhythms of earthly life. They're not like looking up and listening to records and just daydreaming and, you know, off somewhere else. Like there's a sense of like, I'm here, but like being earthbound or something like that, you know, or where do you feel the synchronization between centers? I really like this book, Unblocked, by Margaret Lynch, where she shares emotional freedom technique, tapping exercises to help people who are on a spiritual path. She works with the lower chakras specifically because these are where she proposes the blocks are, right? That like a lot of um, spiritual people are trying to solve their problems through vision, but they actually have some deep embodied um, root level fears, survival traumas and fears, etc., that are holding them back. So they can vision board and dream all they want, but they have some deeper like body work to do. And EFT is amazing for that. And one way, you know, like plenty of visionaries can access psychic illumination, but when they're having trouble setting boundaries, standing up for themselves, paying the bills, etc., there's something else going on. Right? Those would all be kind of like, I'm up here and I'm vision boarding, but how do I come down? How do I bring this down? And then I was also thinking about landscapes, uh, mountainous or high elevation areas that do have an energy, a difference in frequency, the possibility to contact different states of mind. When we go to high elevation places, whether literally or figuratively, such as a peak experience or a kind of high, you know, or the physical mountains, we meet certain qualities of soul. Sometimes these high elevation experiences prompt us to change our lives in some way, like the tower giving psyche detailed instructions. You're at the top of the tower, you're at the top of this mountain, you're at the top of this peak experience now, but here's the illumination of insight that when you get back from Burning Man, this is how you're going to live your life. I've had shattering, life-changing realizations at various altitudes too, you know, rock bottom as well, but also parties or ceremonies or travels where I was having the most fun of my life. And in that, contacting a very real and powerful part of my own essence, right? It's not just the dark night of the soul that's where we meet the truth. Sometimes it's also in our most epic, expansive, joyful states. And after these big experiences comes the practice and task of integration. I've also noticed that sometimes it's in these low spaces, letting ourselves feel and process and move with grief, depression, etc., or being in situations that confront us with difficult low parts of ourselves to look at, that a little fire, a little Promethean fire is sparked and the upward ascent begins again. So I've mostly spoken about going up to go down, But it works both directions, so I'll say a little bit about going down to go up. Here I was thinking about the pressure or impact of hitting bottom in some way, and how this can create a spark or a drive for reascent. Sometimes it's such a hunger of like, I have to get out of here, I can't stand being here. But sometimes it's also the shock, right? Like when we feel really low and like, the drama of the low is just at some extra level that we're like wow like i'm really fucking confronted with myself right now and like in that there's a tension and a friction that turns into a little fire and we get a vision remember psyche builds the tower that gives her those instructions originally because she wanted to die she had the libido to go up because she was so down 
Often we develop or deepen an existing conversation with soul in moments of hardship or crisis because that's when we feel cracked open. Now, I have a personal philosophy about life where I'm not just trying to live um, a mellow existence where I stay regulated all of the time. Like I'm interested in having bandwidth and range and I love peak experiences and in that pursuit of like these highs that I feel called to, I also know what it's like to be pulled under, like Persephone, like pulled under into the underworld. The way I feel through disappointment and grief, the other side of the yo-yo experience of being able to go up high, um, the way I've felt when I've given all my my life force and energy and faith into my hopes and dreams and how, how amazing it is when I've been met with success or with the realization, but how intense and how low I feel when I experience failure at a place where I really was putting it all on the line. Like that's a own, my own personal psychodrama, right? But it's um, poignant that it's like, I wouldn't go so low in those disappointments if I hadn't been contacting the higher vision of what I believed was possible. Um, and yet, I think that I've learned that because I value like living this life fully and wanting to like really be in relationship to these visions and inclinations and desires that I have that I've had to learn how to pay the price on the other end. One of the biggest lessons of my Saturn return has been about Eros, the erotic, being about loving the come up and loving the, the love story as much as you love the ending and what it's like on the way out. So my life philosophy, my ethos, contains a certain approval for it's okay to go up high and it's okay to go down low. I'm okay with that. But... I also recognize that sometimes there is excess. So it's worth considering if we have emotional addictions to hitting bottom versus if we go there authentically, right? Like it's just the truth. Persephone just gets pulled under. Not that we created a crisis just to feel something, to feel alive, you know, that's different. If the intensity of the rock bottom space is where we've trained ourselves to source motivation for our pursuits, then maybe we have a bit of a problem. If we need to get so low and so depleted, and then we start thinking about doing things that feel meaningful and nourishing to us when we waited for the tank to be beyond empty, maybe that's something to look at. I'm talking here like I do approve of the high and lows, but also recognizing when you know, there's a weather pattern that's being created that's an emotional addiction that's not necessary. Right, like one, one thing that I really worked to um, clear out of my system, I learned because of my lunar nodes and Cancer Cap and the way that they're squared. And the way that I, I would interpret this is that I had this energetic pattern inside of me of holding back, bottling things in. Um, and then after that amount of repression, it becoming a pressure cooker and then exploding, having some kind of emotional explosion, reaction, etc. And then feeling so ashamed of like the involuntary of that. Like, how could I just explode? Like I've been so controlled and holding this in and suddenly I just like, wrote a really long letter and sent it impulsively and now I'm so ashamed you know and then I would bottle it back again and I was like I'm just ping-ponging back between holding things in and then exploding and feeling shame and using that shame to hold things in and then holding things in and exploding and then you know it was just like I have to stop like I have to stop that system and so I worked it around like what if I just loosen all of this restriction I'm putting on myself and work to be more expressive in real time and shift 
the patterning and the thought programs and everything that's making me repress myself and bottle things up so that I don't have to blow up and then feel ashamed that I did that, right? And so when I'm talking about these like very different extremes of like going up high and going down low, they can ricochet off of each other. And so there's a difference between being in touch with like truth and our soul and like all of that versus being in an emotional addiction pattern. However, regardless, life touches us and the more capacity we have to feel the lows, the bottoms, the depths, there are openings down there that incarnate sparks of energy, vision, and life, melancholy even, as a portal to the mutation of consciousness. We can draw in Saturn, the traditional ruler of Aquarius, underground, deep caves of gemstones, what's glittering in the depths. So I invite you to simply reflect on the energetic patterns of low spaces creating a bridge for ascent and high spaces presenting a path of descent and embodiment. How one extreme contains nutrients or insights that spark an awareness of the other. To contemplate how creativity is different in different energy or chakra centers. We may have imaginative mental fertility and how does that translate down to actions, choices, etc., to grow those seeds. Or we may be bursting with grief, frustration, blockages in the lower chakras and we seek to get to a higher place to contact a perspective that might loosen something up and help us process that density. What possibilities does Pluto and Aquarius hold for connecting the fertility and riches of the heights with the fertility and riches of the depths in such a way that we actually change our lives? So this is all I wanted to share about spatial ups and downs, highs and lows as a meditation for Pluto and Aquarius. I would love to know what you think. I think this was a little bit far out as per Aquarius um, in that we're talking about something energetic or like a contemplation. Um, and I really mean it as an invitation in the life of your soul to think about some of these patterns um, and, you know, it really does apply to astrology, actually. I can't believe I haven't mentioned it <laughs> until this point. But in astrology, we're constantly getting visions and insights through the technical, through the channel, through the language element of astrology. So we're getting these visions, and it's one thing to talk about our charts and think about our charts. Um, it's another to enact it. And often, um, I think, you know, the way that I teach and encourage astrology, we go so deep, the material is, is provocative and like mythopoetic and soul-stirring enough that it often naturally inspires people to shift and make important moves um, because we feel that, you know, it's just natural. But that's the point of astrology. People don't take astrology far or deep enough when they keep it in some semi-superficial place um, and then there's no inspiration there. There's like a freeze. There's no inspiration to have that information trigger a deeper like impulse or desire or way of living, right? So we get these higher visions or these insights, these profound insights about ourselves through astrology or maybe about the transits. And then it's the way that we choose to enact or move with the current of that information, whether in our own embodiment or our own relationship with the moment of time, that we experience the riches of the original download. So take it as a general Pluto and Aquarius meditation of what is it like to be at some kind of tower of insight, not necessarily a tower of despair like Psyche built, but when we get to a high place, what does it tell us about what's wanting to incarnate into our lives? And if you'd like to go deeper in studying Pluto and building your own relationship to Pluto and all of the archetypes and learning how to read charts from the perspective of evolutionary astrology, if you'd like to learn with me and with an amazing community, 
and the support of that community and me as your teacher um, learn more and apply for Dragon of the Moon via the link in the show notes. There's going to be a part three of this Pluto and Aquarius thing because I didn't even talk about everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, But I knew that this psyche tower thing would take a while. So that's where we are. Thank you for listening. I love you. Thank you.